Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We've been going through 1 Peter. If this is your first time on a Wednesday night, uh, we usually go through a, a book of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We don't skip anything, even when it's uncomfortable for us, especially when it's uncomfortable for us. You know, those uncomfortable scriptures are some of the ones that are better, the best for you. You know, they tend to be the ones, the reason they're uncomfortable for us is because we don't want to change. And really, why in the world do we show up if we don't want to change, right? We want God to change us. I can't change you, but God can. And God's changing me and he's changing you and we get to change together, which is a fun thing. It's fun for us to get together and change. Um, and I, I, I know that everybody's idea of that is different, but let the word speak to us. You know, the Bible says that the word is sharp enough. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to, to divide between joint and marrow, between soul and spirit, spirit. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. So it's really the word of God that's going to dig right in your heart and, um, and, and sort out what needs to be sorted out. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to speak to you tonight. You're not here so a guy can stand up behind a pulpit and tell you what you're doing wrong. You're here so that the Holy Spirit can speak to you through his word. And I believe that's what changes us. And that's the change that actually lasts. That's the change that actually succeeds. Because every time we try to do it on our own, we, we generally fail. But when we let God do the work, it succeeds. So uh, we're going to turn to 1 Peter 2. If you're not already there, get there fast. And uh, we're going to start with where we left off. We actually read this last week. Uh, but we tackled a different part of this section of Scripture. We're going to address a, a, another, another area of it tonight. And this is actually something that we talked about earlier this year. We actually read from this passage. So some of the things I'm about to say may sound familiar to you, uh, but it's good to be reminded of them, and I believe there's a couple of new things that you're going to hear tonight. So let's, let's uh, bow our heads and just go to the Lord in prayer before we read anything and ask him to help us to understand things we can't understand. Lord, we thank you that you brought us here tonight. Uh, you brought us here even if we thought at some point, what in the world am I doing here? You brought us here. Lord, I know you didn't bring us here for no reason. You brought us here for a, a good reason. May we hear your voice tonight. I ask that you open our ears so we could hear your voice. You'd open our eyes so that we could see what you want us to see. And you'd open up our hearts so that we'd understand things that are too deep for us to understand, too, too great for us to understand with our own wisdom. Lord, I praise you and thank you that you, you have revealed wisdom beyond, beyond the ability of mankind to understand. You've revealed these things even to babies uh, even to, to, to those of us who say, I, I, I don't know how I get this, but I get it. So Lord, I'm asking you to do that tonight. Open our eyes and ears, open our hearts. And uh, can, we, can we hear your voice tonight in Jesus' name? Amen. First Peter 2. And we're going to go to 24. First Peter 2.24 is, you may recognize it, it's actually quoting from a passage in the Old Testament. And we'll read that passage shortly. Peter is, has talked about how to, how to behave in the house of the Lord, how to, how to treat one another. He's talked about how to treat those that are in authority. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about that, how, how to submit to authority even, if, even when the authority is flawed. So, you know, that's, that's great for you to remember when, when you know that, that uh, whatever authority, uh, the, the earthly authority is, is there, it may be flawed, it may be imperfect. In fact, it, it always is. But 
The Bible says to submit as unto the Lord. And so in the fear of Christ, in, in honor for Jesus, we're going to submit to, to those that are in authority. In honor for Jesus, we're going, to, we're going to treat those in authority with some respect, even when they haven't really earned it. And so um, we're doing it because we serve our, another king. We serve a higher king. And so because we serve that king, then we show respect to the king that's above us. We show respect to that police officer when you feel you shouldn't have been pulled over. You show respect and honor for those just because you know that God told me to do this and this is, I'm going to do it as unto him. I'm going to do this for my king. So here we've, we've gotten to the point where he talked about uh, how Jesus suffered when he didn't deserve to suffer. And when he suffered when he didn't deserve to suffer, he could have uttered threats in return. He could have responded with accusations. He could have called down angels to, to just totally kick, kick the snot out of the guys that were beating him up and, and set him free. But instead, he held his mouth. Instead, he restrained himself. And he went to the cross and he endured all the beatings and the whippings and the humiliations because he was doing it for us. So we're getting to that uncomfortable part where we're having to recognize that we sent an innocent man to a, a gruesome execution. And throughout history, people have blamed different, uh, different uh, groups on the crucifixion of Christ. In the Middle Ages, it was popular to blame the Jews and, and to take all your anger out on the Jews and call them Christ killers and everything like that. But the truth of the word of God tells us, Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. The Jews played their part, the Romans played their part, and we played our part. We all put Jesus on the cross. Nobody, nobody, not one people group, not one race is exempt. It was our sins that put him there. It's the truth of the matter. We put him on the cross. That's not a fun thing to think about. Here's the good thing to think about. He willingly went there for us. That was his great love for you. Nobody forced him on the cross. There's a, a, popular, it's a popular way to look at Jesus now, to think of him as a social radical that was killed because he ruffled too many feathers, and they almost treat him like a victim, but I'll tell you right now, Jesus wasn't a victim. Nobody forced him to the cross. Do you know how many times people tried to kill him and he just slipped through the crowd? Nobody could have made him go to the cross if he didn't want to lay his life down. So he laid his life down willingly. Didn't fight back. Didn't even fight back in court. Everything about his arrest, everything about his arrest, trial, and execution was illegal. Even by Roman law, it was illegal. And don't you think Jesus, one of the greatest speaker that's ever touched the planet, don't you think he could have used his lawyer skills and brought that up, but he said not a word. There were moments where Herod said, do you, do you deny that you're the that you're this king that they're talking about? Do you deny that you, you're this, you say you're the son of God? Do you deny this? And all he said was, it is as you say. You're the one that said it. Jesus could have gotten out of it several times. He didn't. And so here we find him going to the cross for us. And it says here, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Now think about it. Jesus never sinned, not even once. Can you imagine the, the pain, the anguish to take on the sins of the world, a sinless man taking on the sins of the entire world. I don't think you remember the moment you first sinned. You might have a memory of that moment. You first felt like you did something bad or did something wrong. And it never feels good, does it? Can you imagine someone who's always done what was pleasing to God 
suddenly feeling the weight of the sin and the guilt and the shame of the world. But he did it because he loved you. It says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin, thank God, and live to righteousness. Isn't it good that God didn't just call you to die to something? You're not just to die to sin. I mean, that's the reality of a lot of people. They just say, well, if I could just stop sinning, I'll be a good person. But God didn't call you to just be a person who doesn't do bad things. He called you to be in his image. He called you to follow his steps. So he said, you're going to die to sin, but you're going to live to righteousness. What's righteousness? That's God's right way of doing things. That's God's, it's, it's his it's his justice, it's his love, it's, it's what's right. Everything that's crooked, done right again. So he says you, you would die to sin and you would live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. Another translation says by his stripes you were healed. The stripes talking about the whip marks on his back because he was whipped within an inch of his life. Now, this is, a, this is a big thing because we understand throughout the scripture that this verse speaks of everything. We were healed, spirit, soul, and body. Jesus wants you to be healed physically, amen? But even greater than physical healing is that spiritual healing. I love, I love the fact that we serve a healing God and he still does miracles today. But even greater than that is the miracle of somebody who's got death written on their record. And that slate is wiped clean and that person is made brand new again. And, and I, we've seen it over and over again. People that are just unregenerate, terrible people. And we all were terrible in our own way. But watching people that, that were living for nothing but themselves and they weren't even doing that well. And then they, you see Jesus take a hold of them. And you see their slate wiped clean. And you see that heaviness turn to, to a, a new life. And then all of a sudden, you see that person not only deny the stuff that used to kill them before, not, not only get away from that, that hard and, 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 and wicked life that they were leading before, but they're actually productive now. They're actually, they're actually somebody that you'd want to be around. They're actually helping other people in the same situation. This is what Jesus did for us. He healed what was broken. He's still healing what is broken. We were healed on the cross. We were healed by his wounds. Thank God for it. Now, the next verse is interesting because he says this, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Here's, here's what he's tying our sin to. Here's what he's, he's explaining why he had to go to the cross. And the reason is this, because we kept straying. Jesus uses the example of us being sheep over and over and over again. And you might be insulted by that. I'm no sheep, you know, I'm nobody's sheep, whatever. But hey, if Jesus, if Jesus used the example, you better accept it, okay? He knows what he's talking about. He compared us to sheep over and over again, not just the Christians, not just the ones that were his, but also those that had gone astray. And he says, we all were like sheep that went astray. But now we've returned to the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. I want you to turn back to this verse that he's quoting. He's quoting from a verse in verse 24. Let's go back to Isaiah and take a look at that and hold your place in 1 Peter. But I want you to see what he says in Isaiah because, if, I mean, if he's quoting from something, we want to know what he's quoting. 
Isaiah 53 is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible because this chapter describes hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, it described exactly what he was going to go through and why he was going to go through it. A lot of people now don't realize this, but Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies, lived them out perfectly. If you were trying to fulfill prophecy, you couldn't have fulfilled that many prophecies. He lived his life And as he lived his life and walked out his ministry, he lived out what God had been telling his people for centuries was going to happen. And it happened in a a period, a short period of, of years that all of a sudden, boom, 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 all these things were fulfilled. So much so that it even down to the place he was going to be born, even down to the way he died. The fact that when he died on the cross, the scripture already had had said that that he was going to bear the curse of the people and cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He was crucified on a wooden cross. And as he's on that wooden cross, it talks about the stripes he would take and he was whipped. It talks about the way they would mock him and exactly that it happened to him. It talks about even the fact that not a bone would be broken. And if you look back at the crucifixion of Jesus, You'll notice there's this part of the story that seems insignificant where Jesus is on the cross and he's just given up his spirit. He's just breathed his last breath. And Roman soldiers come by to break his shin bones. And the reason for that is this, because it was about to be Passover and it was about to be the Sabbath. It was about to be the beginning of Passover and the Jews had worked out a deal with the Romans If you're going to execute somebody, you can't execute them on our holy days. So the Romans had this compromise because dying on a cross was a a painful, slow, agonizing uh, death. You'd be baking in the sun. Basically, you're, you're moving towards the point where you no longer can push yourself up by your feet. You no longer can take one more breath. It becomes very difficult to take that last breath. And so eventually you die, uh, whether you die of, ex- of exposure, whether you, or not exposure, whether you die of, of, uh, from the heat, whether you die from asphyxiation, whatever. At some point you die a very slow and painful death. And so what the Romans would do to ensure, because the Jewish day started in the evening, started at 6 p.m. So the Passover was about to start. And the Romans went through all of these guys on the cross and began to break their shin bones because the way you kept yourself alive on the cross was to push yourself up. There was a little foot, foot place where you could put your feet and you could push yourself up and take one more breath. But if they broke your shin bones, you couldn't push yourself up anymore. And you would die. So they were going along, boom, boom, breaking the shin bones, ensuring people were dead. They come upon Jesus The prophecy says, not a bone will be broken because he was to be the perfect, sinless lamb of God. When they come upon him, he's dead. And instead of breaking his shin bone, one of the soldiers proposes, let me just stab a spear in his side, which the scripture told us that 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 exact thing was gonna happen. They put a spear in his side and blood and water come out. Modern doctors have told us that what that indicates is that the heart ruptured which is incredibly rare. The heart itself ruptured. That's the only reason blood and water would pour out together. He fulfilled all those prophecies in a matter of hours. Now, he had fulfilled prophecies all his life. 
So when we look back at Isaiah, and, and especially in Isaiah 53, you're seeing God telling, telling his people hundreds of years before it happened exactly what he was willing to do for them and exactly what Jesus was going to go through. And it shows his great love and it shows um, his great compassion. It also makes me feel the weight of what Jesus did. I feel great joy, but it's a weighty joy when I think about it because he did that for me and that's a big deal. Isaiah 53, we're not going to read the whole thing, but we'll start in verse 4. He says, surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We thought it was his fault. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Do you think it's a coincidence, guys, that he compares you like sheep that went astray, and that's why Jesus had to die? Because we went our own way. And in the next verse, he says, like a lamb led to slaughter. See, Jesus died the death we earned. He died the death of a rebellious sheep. He died the death of somebody who had earned their own punishment. And he took it for you so you wouldn't have to die that death. In an age, in 2015, individualism is everything, right? I mean... We're, we're all about being you. Just be you, whatever you, I mean, your kid can tell you at five years old who they are, what they are. They can even tell you their gender, and it could be totally different from what you see, and they can tell you what it is. They can tell you this is this, and, 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 and there's this idea that whatever you decide to be, that's what you are. You go your own way. You do your own thing, but don't you see that's what got us in our trouble to start with? We're so addicted to individualism here. We're so addicted to being unique. God, help us. You are unique. God created you unique. But that doesn't mean that the best idea for you is just to go out and do whatever you feel like doing. Because the truth of the matter is, we all felt like doing the wrong thing. And it got us in trouble. That sheep might think that it would be nice to go left when everyone else is going right. But you know what's left? What's left, what's on the left while everyone else is going right? Or what, what's, what's south when everybody else is going north is, is, is danger, is trouble, is wolves and bears and lions and tigers. Oh my, all of this is over there. And even in the church, there's an idea of, I just, I feel that this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm going to do. And I just got to do me. I get that. And God has made you special and unique and and all of that, but there's something that we have to learn, and we have to learn it quickly. We have a shepherd who loves you more than you love you. And I don't care how big of an egotist you are tonight. You could think you're God's greatest gift to women. You could think you're God's greatest gift to men. You could think you're God's greatest gift to, to, to animals. You can think whatever. But the truth of the matter is, as much as you love yourself, you can't love yourself as much as he loves you. He loves you more than that, and he does know better. It's a strange thing to try to convince somebody 
that the best thing for their life is to give control to somebody else. We've got a shepherd who cares for you. Do you know what Jesus died for? He died for a bunch of sheep who decided to do their own thing. That's sobering to me. I look back in the Old Testament. If you ever read the book of Judges, they go through this roller coaster experience where they have a godly person in charge. Whether it's a man like Samuel, even though he wasn't always godly. Whether it's a man like Gideon, even though he wasn't always brave. A woman like Deborah. When they have a godly judge, somebody that was ruling over them, this is before they had kings. When they had a godly judge, they served the Lord, things went well for them. When that person died, there's this phrase that pops up. Each one did what was right in their own eyes. And that turns out to be a very bad phrase. Because the minute they start doing what's right in their own eyes, you know what happens? They start walking away from God. They start doing their own thing, and they eventually get attacked by some tribe that's out to get more land or out to get their stuff. It never goes well for them. And it goes bad, and it goes bad until they finally cry out to God, and he rescues them again because that's just how merciful he is. He doesn't say, no, that's the last time. You guys are on your own. He continually comes back and rescues. But listen to the phrase, each one did what was right in their own eyes. Doesn't that sound like a good thing? It doesn't say they they did bad things because they wanted to do bad things. It said they did what they thought was right. They thought they were doing the right thing. I'm going to tell you something. You can't always trust your own heart. You can't always trust your own thoughts. I'm not trying to scare you. But I got a three-year-old. He's a wonderful kid. I really love him. And as, as, you know, as far as the joke I made at offering time, the kid would never cheat at carnival. He's a good kid. But he doesn't know what's best for him. He would love to play in the road all the time. He, I mean, the things he wants to do, he doesn't do it out of, out, of, uh, out of malicious intent. But if I just let him do what he wanted to do, I don't know if he would be able to walk right now. I don't know if he'd be alive right now. I know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I I know things he doesn't know. Thank God I know more than a (laughs) three-year-old. All right? You might be smarter than me, but I know more than a three-year-old, and I'm going to hold that. Someday he'll be smarter than me, and we'll have a different conversation. But then I'll have grandkids to be smarter than. So the cycle continues. (laughs) Circle of life and all that. You got to understand God knows infinitely more than you do. And here's the other part. We've been tainted by the sin in the world. We've, you know, before we met Jesus, we were, we were just indelibly tainted and, and, and damaged, even though we didn't know it. There was something in us that, that cried out for God, but there was another part in us that wanted all the wrong things. And, and the trouble with that is, even when you think you're doing the right thing, you're causing somebody trouble, you're causing somebody harm, and usually it's you. And so when they would go out and they do their own thing, they were inevitably going against what God had called them to do. And here he says, we all were like sheep. Each one went to their own way. I've had conversations with people, even about, even, even good godly people. And there's this idea that, well, everybody's got to do their own thing. Everybody's got to do what they feel they want to do. Everybody's, everybody's, you just got to be you. And I get that. Because who God made 
you to be is a bit different than who God made me to be. And we're all going to fit in the puzzle differently. And that's good. God did not create us to be clones. He created us unique. But we have to learn how to return to a shepherd. Because it's in our nature, before we met Jesus, to just do what we felt like doing. Do you know where that got us? It got us a death sentence that Jesus took for you. He, as it says here, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The iniquity that put Jesus on the cross was caused by our own need to do our own thing. I don't know, that doesn't make me feel great. But it makes me feel very thankful that I had a God that loved me enough to do that for me. Here's the thing. When we go back to 1 Peter, and we should right now. If we go back to 1 Peter, read this. You were constantly straying like sheep. Do you notice that's in the past tense? So here's the deal. Jesus paid the penalty for your straying, didn't he? Thank God. He paid the penalty for my sin. Do you know what he also, he didn't just die to pay the penalty for your sin. He died to set you free from that sin. Right? He didn't just die to do your, to do your jail time. He died so that you didn't have to, you, didn't, you weren't a slave to that crime over and over and over again. He came to set you free from that too. And that's the good news. And so he says, Jesus died. He died the death of a rebellious sheep. He went, he went to the cross like a lamb to slaughter because of us. But now it says we were constantly straying, but now we have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. So there's two parts to this. The first part is Jesus died after I strayed and I rebelled and I went the other way. Jesus took the price so that I didn't have to die the death I deserved. But the second part is this. Now he's calling you back. And we have to learn how to be shepherded. And that's a new thing for most of us. We have to learn how to let someone else lead us around. And guys, that's generally against our nature before we know Jesus, isn't it? I mean, and we're blessed to grow up in a country where we don't have a secret police monitoring your every action, neighbors that are, that are ratting you out to the authorities the minute you say something against the government. Look, we live in a country that's relatively free. It's maybe not as free as you'd like it to be, but it's pretty free compared to a lot of places in the world. We've been blessed by that. There's something in us that says, don't control me. Don't tell me what to do. Don't make me do what I don't want to do. And I get that. I feel the same way. If I'm doing the dishes, I'm about to do the dishes. I'm on my way to do the dishes. And my wife says, Jonathan, can you do the dishes? All of the joy in doing the dishes has just been sucked out. I just want to admit that to you. And that's not Tia's fault. That's my fault. How does she know I'm about to do the dishes? She can't read my mind. I'm not singing the dishes song. I'm just eventually going to do it. But now I don't want to do it. Guys, I'm still dealing with this. I'm telling you the truth, just being honest. I still deal with this. Now, I've learned to get over it, but I still deal with this. This feeling of, oh, now, now it's going to look like I'm doing it because she told me to do it. I will not be dominated. 
(laughs) So there's that temptation. Well, I'll do something else and do the dishes later. I'll show her who's boss. And it's in our nature to do that, isn't it? We don't want to be controlled. We don't want to be led around. But Jesus is a good shepherd. He's a good one. And the truth is, he knows infinitely more than we do. And he's, the payment for our sins has been paid. He took your debt. But now here's a, here's a strange thought. Your life is not your own anymore. The trouble we got into, the reason Jesus had to come and die for us was that we did our own thing. It didn't work out well. We've pretty much destroyed the planet in the process, in every way imaginable. But God didn't abandon us. He could have left us to our own trouble, but he didn't. He came and he rescued us. From the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, God said, said it to the serpent, he said it to the devil himself, one day the seed of this woman is going to come, it's going to crush your head. You may bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. He was prophesying about what Jesus was going to do, that though he was bruised for us, he crushed the enemy. Jesus said, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. So from the moment that we did our own thing and messed everything up, God had a rescue plan in place. That's the good news. Here's the other good news. The scripture says this, he died for all, that we might live and that those that live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for us. We don't have to live for ourselves anymore. In fact, we can't. We were like sheep that went astray. We went after our own way, but now we've returned to the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. Here's the question I want to ask you tonight. Here's the one I want you to leave with. Do you know how to be shepherded? Are you still addicted to doing things your own way? Do you still have that innate sense of, if it's not my idea, I'm not going to do it? I still deal with that. But I'm learning to submit to God. And I'm learning to get over it in other areas too. But first and foremost, it starts with submitting to God. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I wasn't even the first one to say it. Many people have said this before, but submission isn't submission until you disagree. You can say you're submitting to God till the cows come home, but you won't know you're submitting to God until he tells you to do something you don't feel like doing. Then you know whether you're submitted to God or not, right? I can say, I can say, I I can walk around and say, well, you know, Levi's my boss. I mean, I do whatever Levi tells me to do. And as long as Levi tells me to do things I was going to do anyways, that's not a big deal. No, it's just fine. But the moment Levi says, hey, Now, Levi's not actually my boss. He'd make a good boss, but he's not actually my boss. But the moment Levi were to say, okay, I need you to to take a weekend and and come work on this project with me, and I've got plans for the weekend, that's when we're going to find out if he's really my boss or not. Because all of a sudden, our two paths aren't, aren't, aren't aligning anymore. Will I change my plans or will I go ahead? Here's how we know if you've submitted to God. When's the last time you did something you didn't really feel like doing because you knew it was the will of the Lord? (laughs) You know, the problem is this. Sometimes we can't tell the difference between our own emotions, our own feelings, and the voice of God. 
And so we'll decide what we feel like doing. And when someone asks us, why are you doing that? We'll say, well, God led me to do it. Or God spoke to me and told me to do it. Now God speaks to his people, doesn't he? But you got to know the difference between your soul and his voice. Do you know, the, you know how you know the difference? It's found in Hebrews. The word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to, it's able to divide between soul and spirit. It's able to show you, hey, this is your idea, but this is his idea. And you train yourself to learn and know the voice of God. And I can tell you, you can't know the voice of God too long before the voice of God leads you to do something you weren't going to do on your own. That's when you know you're being led by the shepherd. And when you open the Bible and you see that scripture that says, I want you to forgive them like I forgave you, and everything within you says, but I hate them, and they deserve not to be forgiven, and they deserve for me to go and create a website with their name on it, smashing them and, and debasing them. They deserve so much more than they're getting. And the Lord says, no, I want you to forgive as I've forgiven you. Then you know. Then you know his word has more authority in your life than your feelings. Here's the good news. He's not just the shepherd. He's the guardian. I've learned that m my worst decisions have come out of me trying to protect my own soul. Now, let me define soul for you because we get that mixed up. I'm defining soul from this perspective like many believers have in the, in, throughout history, that soul and spirit are two different things. Because in, in the scripture, it's, it talks about your spirit, soul, and body. So if your spirit is that, is that part who you really are, that's the part that was born again and made new. Your spirit's the part that hears from God. Your body, that's obvious. That's this bag of meat and water. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, all right? So I've gone to great lengths to try to protect my own soul from my own insecurities, from other people, from different things. And I've learned that no good decision ever comes from that. You never make good decisions trying to protect your own soul. If you can trust that God can keep your soul, God's able to protect it. God's able to guard your heart. So many times we say, now, you know, the scripture says, guard your heart with all diligence, right? For out of it flows the wellsprings of life. But you know, half the time when Christians say they're guarding their heart, they're not guarding their heart, they're closing their heart. They're closing their heart to other people that they're afraid are going to hurt them. They're closing their heart to God because they don't trust him. So here's what we do. We say, Lord, I trust that you're a good shepherd. You'd never lead me to my own destruction. You never lead me to be eaten by wolves. In fact, David writes in Psalm 23 that even if he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he'd fear no evil for God was with him and God's rod and his staff would comfort him. Now a staff, that's easy because a staff's the, that thing that the shepherd would use to, to keep the sheep on the path, right? It's got the crook on it. You're off path. That staff nudges you back. If you start to get off, he gets you back on. That's good news. But why does his rod comfort me? Because the rod was not a tool for comforting. The rod was a tool for beating why am I comforted by that? Sometimes that rod would be spiky. Now, besides a good back scratch, I don't want to be comforted by a spiky rod. Why is it comforting to you? Because when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it's comforting to know that your shepherd has a tool that can be used to beat the living snot out of that wolf or that bear or that lion. That's comforting to me. That's comforting to me. It's comforting to me to know 
that uh, comforting to me to know that the RCMP are allowed to carry guns. You might not be comforted by that. I'm comforted by that. Because I think there's times where they might need it to protect a guy like me. Comforting to me to know that my shepherd's not afraid <laughs> to use force against the enemy. Now, here's the news. Enemy is not people. Enemy is what the Bible describes as principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. So God's going to protect your heart. Here's the question. I'm going to ask it again. Do you know how to be shepherded? Jesus said, my sheep follow me because they know my voice. It's interesting that that's how you follow the shepherd. You follow him by knowing his voice. You follow him by knowing his word, by knowing his voice leading you. That's how we're led around by the shepherd. When's the last time you did something you really didn't feel like doing because you knew God was leading you to do it? That's when you know the shepherd's got control. When's the last time you restrained yourself even when you felt like retaliating? We were doing our own thing. Our own thing got us a death sentence. Jesus died in your place. But now we've returned to the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. My question to you tonight is, do you trust your shepherd? Do you trust your shepherd enough that you can let him tell you what to do? You can let him lead you around? It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to grind against your flesh because always, there's always be that part. And it gets less and less the more you follow Jesus, the more you're renewed in your mind. But there's that part of us that does not want to be controlled. We don't want to be told what to do. But you can trust him. He's a good shepherd. He's a good king. He's, as as C.S. Lewis famously wrote, he's not tame. He's not safe. But he is good. I believe that Jesus wants to shepherd your life. He didn't just pay the penalty for your straying. He brought you back into the flock so that you could follow again. If you don't know what it's like to follow, you'll never be trusted to lead. If you don't know what it's like to follow, you'll eventually find yourself on a bad path again. So here's what I pray, and here's what I encourage you. Something, pray in your own way, but this is, this is something I encourage you to pray. When you, whether you pray, whatever time of the day you pray, would you ask God to lead you, His Holy Spirit to lead you, would you ask him to correct you if you need to be corrected? Would you ask him to take you on the path that he decided you should go on? Because the Bible says he's prepared a path for you to walk in. I'm not a fatalist. I don't believe you'll end up on that path no matter what you do. I believe that God knows what you'll do. He's seen it before it happened. He's seen every possibility and he's given you endless uh, uh, chances to get back on that path. But I do believe that when he said to the Israelites, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. I believe they had a choice. And you have a choice whether to follow or not. You have a choice whether to listen. You have a choice whether this book is going to be just one more philosophy to you or whether it's really going to tell you what you believe. So you can use this Bible to say, I know what I believe. I'm going to find a scripture to back me up so I can win an argument. But that's abuse of the word of God. Do you know what you should do instead? Open it up and let it tell you what you believe. Instead of opening it up and saying, this is what I believe. Now make it back me up. Open it up and say, God, what do I believe? I believe you. I believe you're right. And I'm going to follow. We were created to follow. We were created to lead. But you can't lead until you've learned to follow. I want to encourage you tonight, get over yourself, <laughs> all right? 
You're special. You're God's special snowflake, whatever. But you need to get over yourself. Yeah, you're welcome. Know this. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you so much. But he loves you enough to tell you when you're wrong. Loves you enough to put you on the right path. He loves you enough to discipline you if you need to be disciplined. Thank God. The book of Hebrews says, if you're not being disciplined, you're not a legitimate child. Well, I want to be legitimate. The root word of discipline is disciple. I want to be a disciple. Here's the deal. Let's pray tonight. We're going to give God some, we're going to give God our, our, our commitment tonight that we're going to let him rule and reign in our own hearts, all right? So there might be some things right now that <laughs> if you're like me, when you hear things like this, the Holy Spirit tends to speak to you about your own issues. Very rarely does God ever say, you know, I really hope that Mark's listening to this. <laughs> Most of the time he's dealing with me about my stuff. No matter how perfect I think I can be, he deals with me. What, you, what he might be talking to you tonight, it might be worlds apart from what He's talking to this person about or this person here. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just commit. There are some areas right now that you know you've been doing your own thing. You've been going your own way. You've been resisting the leading of the Holy Spirit. Or there's some areas where you might say, I don't feel I'm resisting, but I don't know the last time I asked him what he wanted me to do. You know what I mean? Plugging your ears is the same as not listening. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask God to open our ears again, open our hearts again. Show us where to go. You know, if he's the shepherd and he says, my sheep follow because they hear my voice, I want to hear his voice. If you're sitting here tonight saying, I don't know the voice of God, I don't know what it sounds like, I don't know what it looks like, first and foremost, open your Bible because you're going to see God speak to you. Second thing right here is he wants to speak to you. Ask him. Ask him. Third, if you want God to speak to you, at some point you got to stop talking. Somebody said this, it was, another, it was a pastor that said this, and I thought it was a smart thing. He said, prayer like conversation. In prayer, as in conversation, the one who knows the most should talk the most. It's a no-brainer when it comes to us and God, right? Let's pray right now.